This is the Power of Genetics podcast, the podcast designed to help visionary practitioners build a more successful practice, transform more lives, and lead their patients into the future of personalized health. In each episode, I'll interview successful practitioners and leading thought leaders who will share their insights and expertise to help you prepare your practice for what lies ahead. I'm your host, Dr. Yael Jaffe, and now let's get into today's episode. A warm, very big welcome to a very special guest today, Kira Deneen, who is a little different from the other guests you would have heard on the Power of Genetics podcast. So a very big, warm welcome, Kira. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to just dive into genetics as you normally do. (laughs) But yeah, definitely with the genetic counseling spin and everything. Yeah. So let me tell everyone why this is so unusual. So for those that have been listening to The Power of Genetics, you will know that traditionally, I interview practitioners that have been working with patients for a very long time and in some way kind of challenged healthcare or the way we practice. But Kira is a very special individual. And the reason I got to meet Kira is I landed up doing a podcast on your podcast, which is called DNA Today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and if I'm correct, you have recorded over 170. Is it, is it updated? Yeah. Over 180, depending on when this airs, right? Okay. So. so what makes Kira so extraordinary and why I wanted to speak with her is that often when I come across individuals with big BSc degrees in genetics, master's degree in genetic counseling, they don't often have like this incredibly social media savvy engagement with the consumer and with the world in general. And so I was extremely interested to find out what your journey has been that you would start off like inside genetics, hardcore genetics, and land up being this like megastar winning multiple awards for your podcast, I might say. So take us back to look a little bit about how you landed up in genetics in the first place, your kind of career as a genetic counselor, and then what's this amazing transition that kind of happened to you? Yeah, so it's definitely been a very interesting journey. And I'm relatively young, I guess I'll say. So I have a long journey ahead of me too. But it's kind of a weird way that I got into the field because I was intrigued by genetics in high school, like so many people, right? A lot of people were like, oh, when I first learned about in the genetics unit in biology in sophomore year of high school or seventh grade or something like that, right? So I always found genetics to be really interesting because it seemed to like anything in science, biology always came back to the genetics. So I was like, well, that's really a cool place to be at really the beginning of things, I suppose. So I was intrigued by that. And I was like, well, I want to I wanna have a career in genetics, but I don't know what that looks like. Like, does that mean I have to work in a lab? Like, that might be cool, but I don't know if I'm going to be happy being at a bench every day. Some people, they love that. And for me, obviously, I love talking. So <laughs> me too. Definitely not a bench. Right? Yes. Yeah. The microscopes don't talk back to me as much as I talk to them. So I think that was part of it. So in high school, when I was 17 ish, I started DNA Today and I was like, well, this will give me a great excuse to interview people in genetics and just learn about what their careers are like and hold myself accountable to learning about different things in genetics. So that's how the show started um, being in high school. So the show has really grown with me over the past 10 years because 
I have obviously graduated from high school, undergrads and graduate school. So I think things have shifted a lot over that time of instead of me exploring these careers and starting to learn about these topics, now I'm like head deep in them. So now I'm like, okay, I really want to get at particular questions. And sometimes in interviews, I'm also educating the audience, whereas it used to be like, I really had no idea what the guests were going to say. And, and sometimes I'm still surprised. So I think that's always the fun part. But yeah, I guess it's a little bit backwards from where a lot of people start. Yeah, I love it. So in essence, you were doing podcasts when no one else was. Yes, it was very early on. I mean, people that were doing it in like 2004, I'll give them the... <laughs> yeah, okay, 2004, but still 10 years. Like, how do you, right. 17 year old, not even graduate from high school, decide to set up a podcast? Like, how does that even happen? What was your environment like that something like that could happen? Yeah, so I have to give a shout out to Andrew Sims. So he is someone that's been really a role model for me. And I recently was interviewed by him on his podcast. It was just like... Oh my gosh, I was fangirling the whole time. It's amazing that I could even get my words out. But so I was going on a trip. It was like the first time I was going on a plane. This is like 2008. So I'm in eighth grade. And so my family was going on a trip and I'm like, well, how am I going to entertain myself for these four or five hours I'm on the plane, right? You know, no Wi-Fi, anything like that. And so I was like, well, I just typed in Harry Potter into the, like the iTunes Apple store because complete nerd here on all, all levels. So then I find this thing called MuggleCast. And I was like, oh, it's like a little Harry Potter podcast, whatever that is. And then I see it's like an hour and a half long. I'm like, who would ever listen to an audio file that's an hour and a half long? That's wild. And then as I'm, you know, I turn it on, it's like Hedwig's theme of like the Harry Potter theme song by John Williams, like on the left guitar. I'm like, this is kind of cool. And then these teenagers just get into the Harry Potter series and talking about all this. And then I find out they're only a few years older than me. So I was like, well, if they started this in high school, maybe I could do the same thing. So that's when I started podcasting. And so they inspired me to get into that. So I think if it wasn't for them, I don't know when I would have gotten into the podcasting game, if at all. So I think just having them as role models and they didn't even know I existed for many years. <laughs> but No, I love that. And it wasn't like it was listening to a science podcast. You were listening to Harry Potter. Right. Yeah. Because, uh, that's real muggle magic right there. Yes, muggle magic right there. <laughs> so yeah, I started podcasting at that point. And then after a year of podcasting for a different show, then I started the genetics one once I kind of figured out the kinks. But I mean, back then there wasn't, it wasn't as easy to start a podcast because you didn't have these things like Anchor available where you could just like sign up and pay per month and they would host your podcast. Like the way my podcast is set up is so different. Like I host it myself through my own website, which is like different. Because people are like, oh, who do you host with? I'm like, oh, I didn't understand what that meant for a while. Because I was like, what do you mean? You put it on your website, you submit that to podcast players, whatever. So certain things I'm like, okay, I do it very old school. But it was just such a great way for me to just start networking with all these people. Because otherwise, who's going to listen to a 17-year-old that wants to talk to them you know, and, and pick their brain? How did you get anyone to talk to a 17-year-old? How did you do that? So at the beginning, it was a lot of episodes of like, I'm going to teach myself this genetic topic, and then I'm going to talk about it. And there were also debates with one of my really good friends from high school where we took a ethical conversation and said, okay, someone's pro, someone's con, we're going to fight it out. And we were close. So it was like, good, you know, to have a heated discussion. So I didn't start doing interviews until probably late high school, early college, once I had some episode numbers down, because then I could say, oh, we've had over 15 episodes. I'd love to interview you. So it's, you got to start somewhere, right? Yep. Season one's the hardest. So, you know, in season two, you're like, oh, you've got some good names. Okay, I'll, I'm, I want to be there. Who was the first person and what was that like for you? 
I had done some interviews through my first podcast, which was about the Hunger Games series. That was a little bit different. You know, that didn't have a science focus. It was more literature and fandom. But for DNA Today and everything, like it was really hard to get that first interview. And, and when I did go in person for the first interview, I don't remember if it was virtual. My actual first interview was virtual or not. But I remember my first in-person interview and I had all these questions prepped and like I had the questions printed out on my lap. Like I went to their office, brought this microphone and I had burned through the questions in seven minutes. It was supposed <laughs> to be a half hour interview. And I was like, right on the spot. I was like, thank you so much for packing a lot into this episode. That's all I have time for. Because I ran out of questions. I was like, wow, you need to prep a lot of questions. Because sometimes people answer them so quickly. So it's like, you just, you fake it till you make it. Honestly, that's one of my mottos. Mine as well, actually. Yeah. It worked for me. So you, I love it. So you started a podcast to talk about genetics, to try figure out what it was you wanted in your career to be about genetics. And then the podcast landed up being your career in genetics. Yes. You know, I never thought of it that way, but yes. I ended up getting my master's in genetic counseling, which is one of the careers I was thinking about in high school. My mom is a social worker. So I grew up with that being, she's my role model in a lot of ways and that she has just loved her career and she's been in it for, I'm 27 and she's been in it longer than I've been alive. So whatever, 30 something years, she's going to be like, here, you're aging me. Um, but you know, it's like, so she just has always loved her career. And I'm like, wow, I want to love my career. So I was like, maybe social work, but it wasn't quite nerdy enough for me in terms of the science side. So then my mom was like, okay, well, let's look into like genetics, see if there's some kind of combo. And, and I'll always remember she came to me. She's like, I found your career. I'm like, okay, what is it this time, mom? You know? Yeah. And she's like genetic counselor. And I'm like, what is that? <laughs> you know? So, but it blends a lot of skills from social work in with communicating about genetics and educating. And I think it's just a perfect blend for me and so many other people that are intrigued by this and like the communications aspect and, and like the science and genetics and education, but they don't necessarily see themselves in a strictly bench role because there's plenty of genetic counselors that work for labs too. So I don't even want to say lab role, but I think it's such a great and fastly growing field. I mean, now there's 5,000 of us in the U S and Canada and, you know, obviously more worldwide, but there's just so many opportunities within the field. And even being able to do this, I consider this as part of my genetic counseling career. So I was going to say, do you work as a genetic counselor, like one-on-one with patients? Yes, you do. Yeah, I do. So I'm also a full-time genetic counselor. So I meet with pregnant patients to go over their family okay, history. So prenatal. Yeah, prenatal or preconception, kind of mostly yeah. people are pregnant. But yeah, so I get to keep up with the field and, you know, be able to do that and do this. So, you know, just the balancing act between the two. It's still an extraordinary balancing act. And I think the reason I wanted to interview you was most of the people that probably listen to my podcast are practitioners, healthcare providers. And we always talk about impact. You know, how do you take your impact a little bit further than that single patient? How do you spread the word to change people's lives? And, you know, everyone I've interviewed on this podcast has, you know, it's writing books or started speaking at events or having open days at their clinic or whatever it is. And yours is this real savvy. So of course you're 27. So you're much more comfortable in the space than most of us would ever be. But it's still extraordinary because it almost feels like a different part of the brain that has made you so good in this kind of digital space. What do you think it is that's made, like often genetic cancers, it's a very heavy science degree, very nerdy, as you say, it's hardcore. And this is a real 
EQ, like emotional intelligence kind of engagement, like social science engagement. So what is it about you that allowed you and enabled you at your incredibly young age? I have to say at your age, I think I'd like only finished my first degree. I hadn't even like got to the others yet. Like, what do you think it is about you that has kind of enabled you to get to where you are now? I think it's mostly that I've just had a lot of stick to with it. So for years and years and years, I made no money from the show. It was not a source of income. It was just, this is me building my career and seeing it as an investment into my career and learning an investment in myself. So I think that is what, you know, a lot of podcasters face this pod fade where you start a show, you're really into it, and then you are disheartened by having not a lot of downloads, but it takes so long to build it up. So I think I didn't see it as a business in the beginning. And I think that was actually a good thing because I was just like, okay, I'm learning, I'm meeting people, I'm having fun with it. And then I figured, oh, I I hoped maybe someday this will be a business. Maybe someday that will turn into a source of income where I can invest even more time into it. But, you know, that was always a dream, right? Where you're like, oh, someday I'll be president, right? You know what I mean? Like as a little kid, you're kind of like thinking, you know, what's that dream board and dream big and everything. And so I think it's just because I've stuck with it. I don't think it's really anything other than that. I don't consider myself a brainiac in any way. I had to study twice as hard as all my peers to get the same or worse grades. So, you know, I had a 3-2 in college. GPA. So nothing to write home about, right? It's like I have students come in, they have a 4.0 and I'm like, ooh, I get a little nervous, right? I'm like, they're going to show me up, right? <laughs> in the best way. And and so I think, you know, especially for podcasting, it's about just sticking with it and just being able to have fun with it, especially in the beginning. And just, you know, I didn't have any goals at the beginning. And, you know, you're always supposed to have those things, right? But I think I didn't have any in terms of metrics, things like that. I was just like, my goal is to enjoy this process and see what happens with it. You know, we didn't monetize until 2019. So we've only been monetized for like three years. So for seven years, I was just doing it. So I think that's just like a big part. I don't think there's really like a secret. I guess that is the secret sauce. Just stick with it. (laughs) So this is like you at 27, doing something at 17 that most 17-year-olds couldn't even conceive of. What is the future for Kira? Like, I mean, if you're achieving this at 27, what is that big dream that you mentioned? Like... Yeah, it's like I have to realign because so much of my life, like since high school, I was like, I want to be a genetic counselor and keep podcasting, right? That was like my goal. So I think, you know, a little bit of not a crisis per se, not at that level, but like healthy crisis. Yeah, like graduating, you know, and Sarah Lawrence was my top school. I wanted to go to to grad school. Like my mom always joked that like, okay, that's great. You want to go there for grad school, but like you got to pick an undergrad first. Like in high school, I was like, I really want to go to Sarah Lawrence. So I think it was just kind of weird to graduate from Sarah Lawrence also during a pandemic. So graduated May of 2020. And then I'm like, okay, so I achieved my goal. Like what is next? Like, okay, at that point I'm 25. Like, you know, what is my next goal? So I think that's something I'm still trying to figure out. I think at some point it'd be lovely to podcast full time and do consults. And, you know, I'm involved in a couple other podcasts, hosting, producing kind of different roles there. So I think I'd love to just build that up more. But I'm also don't really want to let go of being a genetic counselor either in terms of like day to day. So I don't know, maybe becoming part time genetic counselor and investing more time in podcasting. But I think that's just going to keep shifting. (laughs) Well, I will be watching very closely to see. I suspect you might land up being president if you carry on like this. I mean, I, think oh, I don't think I'm built for politics. Maybe like within <laughs> okay. genetic counseling societies, that might be a good goal. Yeah. But 
Yeah, not of the US. You won't see me doing that. <laughs> I look back at what I was doing in 27 compared to you. And I've been lucky and I feel very grateful for the career I've had. I wasn't, I had absolutely no vision and no accomplishments at 27 like you do. So I am extremely excited to see what comes away. But I do have two very important questions that I want to ask you. What advice you would give to a practitioner who has a vision, who is a dreamer, who wants to tell the world about the amazing work they're doing, who wants to spread the, whether it's the patient stories, what they've achieved, how they're like, or it's just, they've written a book and they want to talk about it like, what would you recommend? If one thinks that starting a podcast is this huge thing, like super hard to do, what is the advice that you would give someone? Yeah, I think it's hard to do in some ways. I think like starting a podcast, like where do you start, right? So I've done some consulting to say like, okay, let's get this organized. Like, let me give you what I use for like an episode outline, different things like that. But I think it's great to almost put that on hold of starting your own podcast and do a podcast tour. So this is what I think about when you say, okay, you have a book coming out and this became very popular during the pandemic, obviously. So say, all right, I have a book coming out or something that you want to promote. And you say, all right, I want to try to guest on a podcast per day, per week, per month, whatever it is, and reach out to podcasts that have the audience that you're also trying to reach out to. So this is even something I'm doing myself. I think it's like, for me, I'm trying to get, you know, guests on a podcast once a month. That's like a realistic goal. And if I supersede that, awesome. I always set my bar a little bit low. So I feel like I will achieve it, you know, mm-hmm. and actually stick with those resolutions for the year. But I think that's a great way to reach out to people, especially when you see a podcast is really good engagement with their audience and that, you know, they've been around for a while. You do some research, make sure it's a good fit that you agree with their views and that they have good publicity. Like I always make sure I listen to podcasts before I'm on them. I can't think of one podcast that I've been on that I haven't listened to before. I think that's so important just to understand like, okay, what is the vibe of the podcast? Like, is it super scripted and, and all questions? And for your show, I was like, okay, it's definitely not, <laughs> right? So I, I knew, not. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay, it's a free flowing conversation. Honestly, most of the time that makes it easier for the audience to listen to too. Cause they're like, oh, it's just like drinking with friends kind of thing, right? Grab your coffee, wine, whatever. But I think going on a podcast tour is great. And then you get a feel for podcasting more so that when you do start one, you can even go back to those people that you're on their show and say, hey, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be on your show. You've inspired me to now launch my own show. It'd be great if you could mention that to your listeners and say, hey, I guess we had back on on episode 80 now has their own show. Go check it out. So you start making all those relationships for your launch to be really good. I think that's great advice. I mean, I definitely did my learning on other people's podcasts before I started my own. And it gave me a great source of confidence of what it's like to be on a podcast. And as you say, to to experience all the different versions of it and kind of the different styles. But it also just, yeah, it was like, what's missing? What's the conversation that's missing? So I think if you listen to enough podcasts and you go on enough, you get a feel for what yours is. And, And the thing that happened to me actually is, the podcast I intended to do didn't end up being the podcast that I did. I don't know if this has yes. been your experience. So exactly. I set out a vision of what I thought my podcast would be. I thought it would be all about genetics and it ended up being almost not about genetics at all, but it landed up being about the individuals that I was speaking to. And I found that that was the thing that I was most passionate about and I connected with. And so over time, it like completely evolved into something different, but on the other hand, something that I really, really cared about. But then if you've had the same experience that it evolves out of almost completely and it should, right? 
if my show looked the same as it did 10 years ago, I'd be like, wow, I've made no progress, right? Like my show started as mini lessons in bioethical debates. And now it's just purely interviews and recaps of conferences and things like that. It looks totally, totally different. And I'm glad about that. I hope in 10 years, the show looks super different again, you know? I have no doubt. Yeah, I think every project should always be improving, updating, and seeing, okay, what's new in our culture too, to be able to include that as well. Oh, that's a perfect segue into my last question. So for someone who has such an incredible background and deep understanding of genetics, as well as 180 episodes of just talking about genetics, you have been extremely well positioned to watch what has been, I have to say, I've been in genetics for about 25 years. So I'm kind of like double your space, but yes, <laughs> but I haven't been spending my time. I'm very focused on lifestyle genetics in the way that you have genetic counseling. So I haven't had the diversity of conversations that you've had in your 10 years. And what I'm most fascinated to hear from you is in these conversations that you've been having over the last decade, what are some of the key trends that you've noticed? What are some of the most exciting? I would say like, even what are the great successes? But let's always start with, what are some of the failures in genetics that you have seen over the last decade? That's interesting. I feel like I haven't been asked that before. Certainly I know. successes, but failures. That's a great question. Good to challenge you. Yes. Yes. You're a great interviewer. So there's a couple of things. So I think one of them is that not enough people, scientists, people that are like in the field are speaking and doing the science communication. You know, I'm a little biased, right? We got to acknowledge that. But I think we need more people that are reaching out where people are already watching, listening, engaging. So, you know, I think like it's great that there's been more of it, but we need even more of that. So, you know, in my realm, other genetic counselors, researchers, physicians, biotech leaders, I would love to see more of them talking to the press, media, reaching out to the public to educate them because there's so much that's changing so quickly in genetics that there's not enough people that are doing that. So I think that's one of our hurdles that we're kind of getting over. So I don't know if it's necessarily a failure. And then on a more, I think, scientific side, I think in, I want to say it was the late 90s that there were gene therapy trials. And, you know, at this point, we were like, this is going to change the game. Like, we're able at this point you know, I want to say again, like late 90s, early 2000s, like we're able to do this gene therapy. It's going to change genetics. It's going to change people that have genetic conditions. We're going to be able to just, you know, quote unquote, fix them okay. for lack of a better term. And then, you know, a lot of them epically failed or it was really bad. And I think that set the field back a long time. Obviously, this is before I was involved in the field because I was, you know, just a little, little kid. But just from reading a lot of books about this and talking to other people on my show about this, I think we would be further with genetic treatment if those had gone better and were handled better. And then kind of, you know, going more into the successes on the same note, I think now there's been a resurgence of looking at genetic editing instead of genetic therapies, a little bit different there with CRISPR. So in terms of my career, so there was a landmark paper about CRISPR in 2012. That was like a huge paper, which I'll try to find and, and send you the link if you don't already know it. Sure. So I graduated from high school the next year. So I had kind of been following this thing called CRISPR. And most people had not heard about it at that point. But I'm like, okay, it's basically like having molecular scissors where you can just cut the DNA and then paste a different gene in. So you can cut out the broken gene 
and put in the correct working gene. So I was like, wow, you could fix every genetic condition theoretically. And even some conditions that are multifactorial. So a little bit more into your realm with like lifestyle genetics and things. So theoretically, it was like, wow, this is like the biggest thing to ever happen in biology and maybe even science. I don't know. Maybe that's too far to say, but it's huge. It's huge. They just, well, they won a Nobel Prize. When was it? 20, yes. 2021? It was 2020, maybe? I thought it was a 2020. Uh, I think so. I wish I had the book on me. I'm, I'm reading yeah. Dr. Duadna's book right now, Sam Sternberg. And, you know, it's just remarkable in the 10 years now that since that paper, just how much has happened. I mean, we've had the CRISPR babies happen at the end of 2018, which that my jaw is still on the floor and it's been three years. And I'm still like, I can't believe that happened. Where for those that don't know, the scientist in China edited the embryos of these twins in another pregnancy basically so that they were not susceptible to HIV. So he changed their genetics so that they are forever changed and that their kids will also inherit that if they have biological children. So this is called germline editing, which has been big, big thing that we're debating because we're like, do we go there? It's one thing to edit, say, cells you know, in your own blood where you can't pass that on to a next generation. But once you start messing with the germline, I mean, that is, that is an ethical line where we're like- That is eugenics it? right there. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And the field of genetics has a history in eugenics. And that's something we have to acknowledge, like you just brought up. And so I think CRISPR is the most exciting and terrifying technology that we have. And that's being developed. I think it's very interesting to keep a look at the headlines. And I think we're going to have major breakthroughs. And we already are with CRISPR. And those are the ones we know about, right? Because there's going to be a whole lot of stuff happening in China that we don't know about. Yes, I think CRISPR is just, I have not personally done it, but from talking to scientists and researchers, just ridiculously easy to use compared to other genetic editing. Yeah. As a technology, it's actually extremely easy. And the only thing holding back the tsunami is ethics. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just wild. I mean, people can look out for in the future. We're going to be, uh, you know, I'll just tease that CRISPR is definitely going to be covered. We've covered it before, but a little more in depth. But there's just some great books out there about CRISPR. The Code Breaker, Crack and Creation are the ones that I'm reading right now. And hey, it's brilliant. Just, Thanks for that. Yeah. Oh, it's just, I could talk about CRISPR all day. It's just mind blowing. Well, I do agree with you that it is probably one of the greatest breakthroughs in medicine and science of the century. I think yes. for me, what makes it so exciting and terrifying, exactly like you, is that that my mind can't even go there, is the ethics of it. And I'm one of my favorite books, I'm sure, you know, is The Gene by Siddhartha Mukherjee. Oh, such he a has, book. it's just, it's such a, like, if anyone's interested in genetics, I always start them there. I was like, get through that and then we'll talk. Yes. <laughs> get and, through that, right? Because it's like 500, 600 pages right, long. Exactly. It's like 500 pages long. So once I read it and once I listened to it as an audiobook, just to make sure I didn't miss anything. But what I love is he talks about not only the history of genetics, but the philosophy and the kind of ethics of genetics. And I think when we're having genetic conversations, it's so much more than science. And that's why this is a conversation I'd say we could do another whole podcast just about it. And I guess that's also why I'm very happy I'm in the lifestyle genetics space because the ethics of CRISPR and how it's going to change the world, and it is undoubtedly going to change the world for the best and worst. And I'm glad that your space are not fine because it's it's really (laughs) going to be something to navigate. Yeah, I think it's going to hit my space before it hits yours, but it it will hit yours. <laughs> so it will, it, will, it absolutely will. Yeah. And I think especially with like polygenic risk scores too, I think that's 
going to hit your space before it hits mine. So that's where it will flip. So polygenic risk scores when we have, you know, a lot of genetic changes all accumulating for one trait kind of thing. So, you know, like weight would certainly be one of them. Height is another one. Height is one of the most complex genetic traits, like hundreds of genes play a role. And one of the most powerful, I mean, it's height from a heritability is like one of the strongest traits. Right. And easy to measure, right? Like, <laughs> easy to measure. Oh, yeah. And that, you know? right. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. I think CRISPR, polygenic risk scores, like that's what I feel like a lot of my interviews, people start getting into it. And then I'd say like the third aspect would probably be whole genome sequencing and just the cost of testing, yeah. how much that's dropped in just the 10 years that I've been active. Like, it's just amazing when you look at, you know, especially once gene patents weren't a thing. So I think that was May, June of 2013, when, you know, there was the big landmark Myriad case. Yeah. Grateful for that. Yeah. So I think that changed a lot. Like prices, you know, dropped, you know, I want to say overnight, but within that month or whatever. You know, when I started in genetic testing, we were paying to test MTHFR. It was absolutely, and APOE. We were paying every time we ran a test. It was so insane that someone could patent a gene and be paid. Like patenting nature, it was just an extraordinary time. Like to look back and my first um, test about was in 2000. Wow. So it just shows how long we were like living in this yeah. crazy world. I mean, where you would... thousands and thousands, I would imagine at that point. Yeah. yeah. Now it's like a couple hundred for like a genetic test or insurance will just yeah. cover it. Like, but usually my patients are only paying a couple hundred, you know, for tests that we're ordering. But And that's what we're seeing. Yeah. yeah. So I think in 10 years time, and hopefully I'll be back on your show or you'll be back on my show. And yes. That. <laughs> and we can have an update where we are on whole genome sequencing, on CRISPR. Yeah and polygenic risk scores. But really, Kira, it's been so lovely chatting to you. We could talk for a whole lot of time, yes. bringing our two worlds together. And I, in fact, we, I would like to do just a whole podcast on title, bringing our, our two worlds together, based on that paper I sent you. So yeah. um, we could definitely do that another time. But I just want to thank you. I think it's been really fantastic, like so refreshing to hear your youth is extraordinary, your courage and your boldness. I have absolutely no doubt that you will have a huge impact on whatever you do. And I will be watching from the sidelines to see it happen. So thank you so much for joining us today. And everyone, um, your podcast is DNA Today. So if you want to explore deeply into genetics and all the other things that I'm not talking about, that's where you find Kara. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I mean, this was a very fun conversation. And I definitely encourage listeners, if you're listening to podcasts, obviously you like them. Other people do start guesting on other podcasts, reach out, be like, this is what I can talk about and bring your audience kind of thing. So I guess that would be my takeaway. But yes, as you mentioned, you can go search DNA today in your podcast player or go right to dnapodcast.com and get all of our episodes there. But thank you so much for this lovely conversation. Thanks, Kara. Thank you for listening to the Power of Genetics podcast brought to you by 3x4 Genetics. For more episodes, please visit 3x4genetics.com slash podcast. And if you are a licensed health practitioner who would like to apply to join our network of over 1,000 like-minded visionary practitioners, please visit 3x4genetics.com slash apply.